Welcome to season two, episode 22 of The Mentor's Voice. We have just two more episodes left in season two. I'm Chris Mormon, president of Markentum, and I'm joined by Christy Kramer from Leading Age, VP of Student Engagement, champion of all things awesome for students. Christy, how are you feeling about this second to last episode of The Mentor's Voice Season 2? Oh, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to Season 3, but we have two incredible mentors left for everyone to hear, so that's great. Um, And on this one, we have uh, Chanel Jenkins. Uh, She is at Sharon Towers, which is a life plan community in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so she's actually the uh, director of talent development and retention. And she's also focused primarily on employee engagement, which is huge right now in the time of workforce challenges that we're all having. And that's really interesting. I think the really intriguing part too, is that she started off as a clinician. So she was, uh, she's a registered nurse. Uh, you know, she was on the floor for a while. She's done infection control, especially during COVID. And now she's moved on over to more of the employee engagement side of things. So that's, that's really exciting. And it's a really good story to hear. Yep. She has absolutely spent time in these awesome roles, taking care, serving, and has tons of experience to speak from. So we are thankful to have her on the show. Also, our student interviewer is Adam Snyder, who has been the awesome leading age intern, and he is currently at Columbia University um, as the MHA candidate. And so... We're excited because Adam will also be joining us at Leading Age Annual Meeting, right? Yeah, he'll be there. Excited for that. So we're going to talk a little bit more about Leading Age Annual Meeting. It's coming up. It's right around the corner. But first, please enjoy The Mentor's Voice Season 2, Episode 22, featuring Chanel Jenkins. So thank you so much, Ms. Jenkins, for coming to speak with us today. Your insights are very valuable. And I would like to start off the interview by asking you if you could start by telling us about your background and your current work interests. Yeah, Adam, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me today. Um, Just a little bit about myself. I am from Columbia, South Carolina, by way of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm currently in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I work as the Director of Talent Development and Retention at Sharon Towers, which is a life plan community. I am a nurse by profession. Uh, Nursing is my second degree. Um, When I was an undergrad initially, my degree was in finance and real estate. I worked for about five years in corporate accounting. And during that time, I was volunteering at a free medical clinic. And I really fell in love with healthcare and decided to uh, pursue this industry. So here I am today. Um, I'm a nurse through and through. I love being a nurse. I'm a healer. I'm a helper. I mean, I just like to make sure that people are taken care of. That's incredible. And your life mission has really just shown how much helping others and healing is to you. Yeah. And so moving on to the next question, I wonder how has your nursing education enhanced your leadership capacity in developing talent within your organization and retaining workers? And what should students do to consider and weigh the benefits and costs of pursuing higher education in nursing? That's a great question, Adam. For me, nursing is all about compassion. So for me to effectively take care of other people, I think that it has to come from the heart. 
and just compassion and caring for others. And I think that's really kind of trickled into my leadership style is really being able to take care of other people. So I take a really strong interest in my staff and what's going on with them and what's going on with their family. Because ultimately, if home life is good, then that kind of trickles into the workplace and work life can go a little bit smoother as well. So I think compassion is the key. Right. Absolutely. And um, now moving on to some of the lessons that you've learned and the key learnings, what do you feel like you've internalized over the years through your work as a nurse and now as director that have helped you become the leader that you are today? I think the biggest thing for me is teamwork. Um, As a nurse, you always have to work as part of a team, you know, whether that team is just the nurse and the CNA or even bigger as part of like the interdisciplinary team. So like the nurse and the social worker, the CNA, the physician, dietary, housekeeping, maintenance. So just everybody being able to work together, I think is really important um, for the success of, you know, resident outcomes, staff outcomes, organizational outcomes. So being able to work together is really important. Um, And then I think that also enhances your leadership style. So if you're able to work as a team and when you're making those difficult decisions, if you incorporate the team into those decisions, um, I think that also helps to lead to better outcomes. Absolutely. And do you think you could elaborate and tell us a little bit about like one really good positive experience you've had with like teamwork and how that was able to enhance um, care quality? Yeah, I can give you an example. So during COVID, I kind of pivoted back to nursing a little bit more than my role of talent development and retention. And I serve as our infection control nurse. So I'm responsible for all things COVID. So policies, procedures, checking on sick people and making sure people are tested and vaccinations. And I think the biggest thing of teamwork we saw, especially in the beginning, is everyone had to pivot what roles they were doing. Um, So initially we had a screening station that was in person before we got our automated machine and we needed to man the station from 6 a.m. every day until 9 p.m. every night. And so just a huge display of teamwork of people volunteering to take shifts at the screening station, um, even if it wasn't, you know, anything that they would be remotely close to doing in their typical non-COVID duties. Everyone, you know, filled in and took a shift You know, people signed up for the 6 a.m. shift without any difficulties or grumbling or people would take the late shift or the holiday shift or weekend shift. So just that flexibility of people stepping in to do something that's not their normal task, but doing it with ease and with grace. Absolutely. And with such an important task and importance with your work, that kind of commitment outside the regular hours is so important and really speaks to the staff and the quality of leadership at your organization. Yeah, I think the other thing the screening station did, it was lots of teamwork of people pitching in, but it also helped like solidify the family environment that we have here in our facility. So now you're not just seeing your team, you're seeing all of the team members or you're seeing visitors or you're seeing residents that you don't normally see. So even in a time of isolation, it kind of helped us, you know, build those relationships and, you know, care for each other just a little bit more. Absolutely. That family aspect really binds things together for increased access and increased work uh, capabilities for sure. And now moving back um, to your current day administrative duties, I wonder how your registered nurse background over the past years has influenced that and what you've done to incorporate that experience and background for better working satisfaction and decreased uh, turnover. That's a really good question. 
I would say one of the biggest things for me is I love processes and putting things into place. So in my nursing background, I did a lot of process improvement, working on quality assurance and that sorts of things. So just learning different tools that we can um, use to like look at data, figure out where there are gaps, figure out where we could do better. So using some of those quality assurance tools um, to figure out where we have gaps in retention, things that we can improve upon. Um, And then also with that process improvement, it goes back to teamwork. So some of those are, you know, teams of people that are meeting to figure out what we can do better, teams of people that are giving us input on, you know, ways that we can do things differently. Absolutely. And I wonder over the past years during COVID and now after in that transition period, what have been the greatest challenges that you've had to tackle during your role as director of talent development and retention? And what have you done to address them? I think our biggest struggle is honestly retention. So we're able to attract people, but we're not able to keep them. So we're really just focusing on how can we meet the person where they are and figure out what needs they have and figuring out like, how can we help them better? So it's not always that we can give them more money because of budgetary constraints, but figuring out what are the small little things that would go a long way in helping them feel better. Um, I always tell people it's not about t-shirts and pizza parties, but how can we really, you know, meet the person and give them what they need? So recently we've started some lunch and learn initiatives and some of them are more serious, like helping people figure out how to save for a house or how to save for a car, or it might be a more fun social, like we have a pride social um, this month to celebrate, uh, celebrate LGBT issues and how can we be better allies. So just adding in some little educational things that can help support people, but also help people feel like they belong to something bigger. I think belonging is probably our thing that we can work on um, to help people stay in our organization. Right. Absolutely. And I wonder also, just because of your previous experience as a nurse and as a frontline worker, maybe that has also augmented your ability to have empathy for these frontline workers in different capacity as an administrator. And I wonder how important you feel that experience really working on the floor has been to your administrative duties. I think you're right on, Adam. I think that my experiences working as a floor nurse have certainly impacted my leadership style and my ability to really understand some of the concerns or frustrations that our staff have. Um, As a leader, I think that every other leader should have some sort of on the floor experience. So whether it's you spend a little bit of time as a CNA or you spend a little bit of time as a server, just really understanding the workflow of how their duties and their day-to-day operations work, I think makes a huge difference. So it's really easy to sit at a desk and say, this is what should happen. But until you're in that role and you know, it would be great if I could do this, but a resident needs something, a family needs something, there's a phone, there's a call light. Um, so I think having that frontline experience is vital and understanding you can't do everything right now. There's other things that are more important, especially as caregivers. Most of us are like super compassionate by nature. So people always come first. So some of those ancillary tasks that pop up aren't always our first priority because we want to make sure that our people are taken care of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that speaks very loudly to, you know, your focus is definitely because of that experience you've had on the floor, knowing what that they've gone through and 
in my personal experience, I've worked as a nurse aide as well. And I feel like, you know, when I was an administrative intern last year, it helped me to see how to actually implement policy rather than just coming up with um, these grandiose ideas, but actually how will they be implemented on the floor for the best care quality improvement? Yeah, I think you're right. I'm like with quality assurance and process improvement, all of those tools, you know, copy or having PIP, so performance improvement um, programs, like those should be interdisciplinary and include the frontline staff because they're the ones that are doing the work. So we can write a great process, but if it doesn't make sense for their workflow, then it's not going to be very successful. Right. First off, just want to thank you again for your insights and there are so many students that could benefit from your insights and your guidance. And so I wonder moving now towards a student aspect, how do you think students should go about looking for mentors and guidance in the field of geriatrics and nursing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, for me personally, in nursing school, we did not have any long-term care clinical rotation. So my clinicals were limited to acute care. So I had no idea about long-term care other than what we saw, you know, in TVs and movies, that sort of stuff. So I think it's really important for nursing students to be open-minded to what aging services has to provide. I think the big thing for me when I graduated nursing school, I was like, I don't know if I will ever work in a nursing home. I just had no idea, little interest. And when I got out of school, this is where I got a job. And I absolutely fell in love. And I think the big difference between acute care and aging services in my industry, you have the ability to form those relationships, long lasting connections with residents and their family members versus the acute care, the constant turnover um, of patients that you take care of. So I love aging services. I get to take care of the same people, you know, day in and day out. They know me and I know them um, and it's very helpful. I think it's also important to find a mentor in your field, um, whether that's a formal relationship or informal relationship, just being able to connect with someone I think is important um, just so you can explore what options are out there. I um, mean, even sometimes a mentor that's not in your direct industry. So I wouldn't say that my mentor is a, is a nurse, um, but she's worked in aging services for a really long time and I respect and value her opinion. So just being able to have that relationship that you can share with, um, I think is important. So we've really touched upon a really a lot of the professional and academic experiences that you've gone through. And I wonder what things that you recommend students to pursue to prepare them for leading geriatric organizations. What kind of experiences do you think that they should pursue while they're in college that would better prepare them for this? I think volunteering in a long-term care organization, even if it's just a couple of times, just so you can see the flow of things, um, I think is really important me and my director of nursing, we talk a lot. And sometimes people just have no clue what long-term care and aging services is all about. So just being able to say, I've gone in, I've seen how the facilities operate, you know, what workflow looks like, how residents are taken care of, how residents are engaged, I think it's really important. Um, so just kind of put yourself into position so you can see what's real and, you know, what's the myth about aging services, I think is important. Um, also, would recommend that students try to attend conferences. Those are some of my favorite things. It's an opportunity to learn from my peers, but also from leaders, and really just an opportunity to network and learn more. So if you're able to attend any conferences as a student, that would be a, a huge recommendation as well. Absolutely. And now moving on to with these experiences and the things in this mentorship, 
when the next coming generation of future leaders is at the is at a position where they have to make decisions for geriatrics uh, organizations, what kind of upcoming challenges do you anticipate these leaders will have to face regarding high staff turnover and quality maintenance with fewer available staff, especially with an aging society with many more um, people to take care of? That's a good question. I think that our retention and workforce problems are probably not going to go, go away anytime soon. Um, I think it's important for organizations and leaders um, to be open-minded, to be flexible, um, to think outside of the box. So we can't do healthcare the way that we always have. You know, that was coming before COVID and COVID has certainly shifted that on its head. So being creative in how we hire staff and being creative in how we retain staff you know, as simple as, you know, should work shifts be eight hours? Should they be 12 hours? What can we do differently to accommodate people's lifestyles? Um, how can we help them um, you know, meet their different needs, I think is important. Um, so can we be flexible? Where can we be flexible? Do they have to work holidays? Do they not have to work holidays? I think staffing and hours that people work, I think that's going to be a really important thing to kind of look at in the future. Um, otherwise, I think just the way that we deliver healthcare is going to change. So in my organization, you know, people want to age in place. So people don't really want to live in assisted living or live in the healthcare center. They want to remain independent living. So being creative in how we deliver services in residence apartments, um, I think will be important as well for the future. And of course, other things like what does dining look like? What do you, does activities and recreation look like? So just being creative and imaginative and how we deliver our services um, in the future will be important. Absolutely. And the focus and the, the new focus on outpatient care is not just within nursing homes and um, aging services, it's within every field. And just from you know examples like the Johns Hopkins Healthcare Group and many other groups like that, it really speaks to the moving importance and growing desire for people to age in place and to receive home home care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very important. And so just one last question before I let you go. First of all, I just want to say again, thank you so much for your time and your expertise and your guidance and your mentorship and everything that you've done to help students with this field. Last question for you is really simple. I just want to ask, what are some of the top books that you would recommend uh, based on your own reads and that things that students can really benefit from reading? Um, One book that I would recommend is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. So it really has kind of like opened my eyes to how we lead and how people perceive us and just the importance of trust within organizations. So do staff trust leaders? Do leaders trust staff? Do other leaders trust other leaders? I think um, trust goes a very long way. Another book that I would recommend, certainly not necessarily a leadership book, but a healthcare book in general, is called A Thousand Naked Strangers, and it's about a paramedic's journey um, in Atlanta, Georgia. And I think that just is a nice book about his experiences as a paramedic, and I think it also parallels to how we take care of folks and aging services. So every day is not the same. Every day presents a new challenge, but to be able to serve those people with grace and compassion and love is super important. So that's one of the things that I took away from that book. So those would be the two that I would recommend that people read one good or one nice and light and one a little bit more serious. Yeah, I'll definitely have to look that up on audible. It's really, really good um, for me. And that's how I do all my reading. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, thank you so much again for your time. I really appreciate it. And you're welcome. Leading Age, the trusted voice in aging, in partnership with Markentum, a marketing agency focused on the field of aging, is excited to present you with the mentor's voice. We believe that conversation between our field's mentors and the next generation of students and young professionals is vital for the ongoing success in the field of aging. Each episode of the Mentor's Voice podcast will feature a student or young professional interviewing a mentor. Through this conversation, the Mentor's Voice gives us all an opportunity to learn from each other, new and seasoned alike. All right. Thanks so much for listening to Season 2, Episode 22, featuring Chanel Jenkins. I've already been talking about it, Christy. We've got, we've got a big meeting coming up. Yeah, it is here, almost here, actually. So in about two weeks, or a little less than two weeks from the uh, from the publishing of this podcast, we'll be in Denver. Chris yes. and I will be hanging out at booth 1824, which is the Mentor's Voice booth. So we'll be there doing that. We'll be listening to incredible keynote speakers. I'm excited for Abby Wambach's going to be there, soccer hero. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be really exciting. And on top of it all, we have an incredible student program. So it's not too late. If you haven't registered yet and you have the ability to get yourself to Denver and want to attend, the Leading Age Annual Meeting. And especially if you're a student and you're interested, uh, go to our website. We have uh, really reduced rates for students. I think it's a $29 registration fee and you get so much for that. It's incredible. So check it out and uh, we'll keep you posted on how it's all going there. Yep. We cannot wait to see you. Like Christy said, stop by, visit uh, the Mentor's Voice at booth 1824. And we're going to be hosting some interviews right there at our little Mentors Voice campsite. So um, come check us out. Come visit with students. Get to know them. And we've got one more um, episode in season two, and then we're off to season three. So if you are listening and you're interested in being involved in season three, we would love to talk with you. So you can visit our website thementorsvoice.com, where you can subscribe to the podcast, get connected through Apple, Google, and Spotify, and also the easiest way to reach out to Christy and I through our social media channels on The Mentors Voice. So whether that is Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, um, we would love to hear from you. We would love to get connected with you in Denver. And most importantly, thanks so much for all of the support and listening.